back to racing. We are back at Imola, and we're back to sprint qualifying. It's the Emilio Romagna Grand Prix this weekend. Also, round four of the World Championship. I'm Tony Desiri. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. We're going to preview the race this weekend, which, yes, has sprint qualifying on Saturday, which will determine the running order for Sunday's race with the regular qualifying format on Friday, which will set the order for the sprint race on Saturday. Will we see Ferrari dominate again at a home track, no less? Will we have five things to look forward to this weekend? Plus, we'll go over the Imola circuit. We'll have our top five and bottom five from the Australian Grand Prix. But before we get things started, once again, subscribe to the channel if you really like what we're doing. We really appreciate all of the support. Really helps us grow. Leave us a five-star review if you really like what we've been doing, because that really helps us promote the podcast as well. So let's get things started. These are the five things to watch out for for the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix this weekend at Imola. And for the most part, a lot of people who do this, either in blogs or on podcasts, we're all kind of coming up with the same ideas anyway. And the first one out of the gate is really obvious, and that is the return of sprint qualifying. Now, if you're new to the podcast or you didn't hear us talk about this last season, I wasn't the biggest fan of this, but I do completely understand why Formula One did it. It does make the weekend a little bit more interesting for the fans in attendance. It adds that bonus uh, you know, at Silverstone and Monza and Brazil last season. Now, was it a home run? No, but it wasn't really a strikeout either. We saw some really interesting moments. I mean, look, I mean, Hamilton's overtake at Brazil last year was fantastic, and it really set up an interesting Sunday Grand Prix with Hamilton being able to navigate his way back to the front after starting last, and the sprint race sort of allowed him to make up lost ground so that he didn't start in the back of the pack for the Grand Prix. He was able to move up a lot of spaces in a short sprint race on Saturday. But my biggest complaint was that it didn't seem necessary. I actually like the qualifying that they do. I don't think it needs to be tweaked at all. I actually enjoy the Saturday one hour Q1, Q2, Q3 sort of format. I also wasn't a huge fan of the fact that world championship points get awarded in this thing. I, I, if you want to do a sprint race for the entertainment of the fans, that's fine. Maybe the drivers feel like they have to get rewarded somehow, some way for being part of this. But I didn't feel like world championship points, which seem to be a real valuable commodity, should be earned in something like this. I think they should be kept to the Grand Prix. But last year, they were giving out three points for the winner, two for second, and one for third. So they doubled down on this, and they've actually extended it so that you can get points from one all the way to P8, with eight points given to the winner all the way down to one for the eighth place finisher. So they've taken something that I really didn't like last year, the awarding of points, and they went all in and he awarded even more points to even more drivers. Now, again, let me preface this by saying I kind of understand why they did that as well. One of the things that you want when you create a sprint race is you want competition. You want it to be entertaining. You don't want just cars going around a track until uh, you know the, the grid is set because nobody really wants to take a gamble going for P10, right? So, what you try to do is try to create an environment where the drivers have something to fight for. And I guess so the points for the top eight would make it you know, rather interesting. If you're, if you're riding in, in P seven, let's say how much of an effort are you going to go to P six in those tight windows when you know that a crash is going to put you back on the grid and cost your team a million bucks in repairs, right? It, it, you have to be extra careful in a sprint race because it's not all, all, you know, it's not all out. The entire weekend isn't for that. You would do it in a Grand Prix because that's the reason everybody is there. That's the reason why all the engineers are there. That's the reason why everybody on the personnel team 
team is there because it's the Grand Prix. It's the biggest thing that's going on. It's why everybody made the trip. Sprint racing is not why everybody made the trip. So that if you are a driver and again, you see a, a window and you want to go for it, sometimes you go, well, I'm going to assess the risk here because if it doesn't work out, I'm going to crash this car. We're going to be working all night. I'm going to be starting on the back of my weekend is ruined. Right now I'm P7 and I'm pretty happy with that. But now that you add points to it, again, I understand why they do it. I don't like why they do it, but I get it. You have to get these drivers motivated with something else other than grid position to give you an entertaining sprint race, right? Eight points for the winner is a lot. I mean, that is a lot to give out. And they're doing it three times this season. That could really change a championship. I mean, you think about it, that's 24 potential added points for, for somebody that sweeps all three sprint races this season. And that's pretty remarkable when you really think about it. So again, I wasn't a huge fan of the format, but I, I will embrace it. I mean, I, I was entertained with various moments of the sprint race last year. I mean, they did them at three spots, Silverstone, uh, Monza, and Brazil. They're going to do it at Austria this season, Brazil as well, and of course, Imola this weekend. So does this have a permanent place um, in, in Formula One? Probably. Will they expand it? Probably. I'm not 100% sure, but... Again, I can complain about it all I want, but the reality of it is it's here to stay. They want to make these weekends a lot more entertaining than they are. They want to give you a bigger bang for your buck, and this seems to be the answer. And look, even though I complain about it sometimes and I'm not a huge fan of it, I'm going to the U.S. Grand Prix in October in Austin, Texas, and if they had it there, I'd, I'd probably sit back and enjoy it. So the return of sprint qualifying, top thing to watch for the Emilio Romagna Grand Prix. Also, number two, the reliability issues of Red Bull. Last year's back-and-forth battle between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen over the first three races has now been replaced by Charles Leclerc winning twice and a P2 with Verstappen getting a win and two DNFs. That's what we got right now. Fuel system issues have derailed Verstappen twice now in his title defense at two races this year. He is currently sixth in the Drivers' Championship. The team, if you have two cars on the team, you cross the finish line six times in the first three races. They've only crossed it three times. Red Bull has only crossed the finish line three times out of a possible six. However, they are the second fastest team on the grid right now. They have shown pace to be competitive with Ferrari at times. They just have failed on the consistency part. Will it come back at Imola? Christian Horner with that quote, right? I'd rather fix a fast car than try to make a slow car fast pretty much sums up Red Bull. They're fast when they are when they complete races, right? We saw Serge Perez get a pole position. We saw Max Verstappen win a race. We've seen Verstappen and Leclerc battle it out in Bahrain. But in the end, Ferrari's got better pace, and the only way Red Bull is getting back into this championship fight is if they are consistent. And right now, they are not consistent. Number three, what's the deal with McLaren? The season opener was a disaster for Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo in Bahrain. But Australia, two races later, they were very good. Both drivers were in the top 10. But was it just a circuit thing, or are they processing the data the right way and are back in this fight? That's a big question for this team. Now, Lando Norris was very quick to downplay the progress, saying that Albert Park suited the car better than, let's say, Bahrain. He said, if you take the same car, go back to Bahrain, we're in the back of the pack anyway. Uh, with Imola more like the Melbourne circuit than the one, let's say, either one of them that were in the Middle East. I, I really do want to see how McLaren competes there. I know it's a new car, but last year they saw a podium finish for Lando Norris at Imola. So again, I want to know about McLaren. Is Are, are they back into this sort of mid-range fight, or are they a team that just sort of said, well, Albert Park suits our car, that's why we did well, but we got a lot, a lot of work to do. 
Number four, Aston Martin is still pointless. After Alex Albon was able to get a point for Williams at Albert Park, Aston Martin is now the only team on the grid to not get a point so far this season. Now, Sebastian Vettel had COVID for two races, so Nico Hulkenberg replaced him. His comeback wasn't expected to go all that well, he's getting used to the car and all. But Lance Stroll hasn't really done anything great this season. Now, he did move up a couple of places for a P12 in Australia, but there was all sorts of issues in that race for him that whole week. And it's got to be driving Lawrence Stroll crazy. I mean, he's looking around and he sees Haas, for example, get some success. Now, Haas, as you know, has put a lot of effort into the 2022 car. They pretty much sacrificed the 2021 season for that exact reason. But Aston Martin right now is the new bottom-feeding team on the grid, and they're going to get some points in some way, shape, or form. And the number five thing to watch out for, and this is really obvious, but it's Ferrari and their dominating run. It has been such a great season so far. Charles Leclerc is running away with the Drivers' Championship right now. Got 20 races remaining. This is one of two home races for the Scuderia. There is no reason to believe that they will lack pace at this circuit. Sports are better, though, when there is a championship battle. Right now, there isn't one, and that is because Ferrari is way ahead of the game from their development of the 2022 car. Points battles, though, can tighten up. We see it all the time. A DNF here or there. Upgrades from the other contenders can make the pack closer a little bit. But right now, it's Ferrari's game, and everyone else is way behind. So those are the top five things to watch out for in the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix this weekend at Imola. Now let's get to track talk. All right, Imola is one of those old-school tracks that was the home to the San Marino Grand Prix before it had left the Formula One calendar. It made its return in 2020 during the COVID season when they were trying to fill the gaps with the lost races, and that became a priority to stay close to headquarters because that was more ideal. Now it seemed to work out, and now it's back on the calendar. Pirelli bringing the mid-range tires this weekend, C2 for the hards, C3 for the medium, C4 for the hards. It's a pretty abrasive track, but it's interesting because teams don't have a lot of tire data for Imola. Uh, they're, they're obviously using the new 18-inch tires, but last year's race started in wet conditions before it dried out. The track is named after Enzo and Dino Ferrari. The San Marino Grand Prix was run from 1981 to 2006, but you cannot talk about Imola. You cannot talk about this circuit without talking about one of the most tragic deaths in motorsports. Ayrton Senna's crash at Tamborello in 1994, but that year also saw the death of Roland Ratzenberger. That occurred in qualifying. Uh, Michael Schumacher has won at Imola seven times. Senna and Alain Prost won there four times. It does run counterclockwise. It has 19 turns. You can find some tr circuit maps where it's as 20 to 21, but 19 turns officially. It's very fast. There are some really, really great corners on this circuit, including Aqua Minerale, uh, Priva. Piratella, Ravata, th these are really, really fast and fun corners. Tamborello, as I, as I mentioned, that's where the accident for um, Ayrton Senna occurred back in 1994. It used to be flat out, but now after that uh, tragic death, it's now a chicane. There's also the Villeneuve chicane just after that, and the Grand Prix will be 63 laps. Max Verstappen dominated the race there last year. Again, it started on the rain. I think it's remembered kind of for three things, the 2021 Emilio Romano Grand Prix. One, Max Verstappen's dominating win. Um, he, he almost collided with Lewis Hamilton on the first uh, Tamarillo chicane turn right on lap one. Um, but also Lewis Hamilton going into the gravel, if you remember that, and then he was able to sort of take advantage of the red flag and, and get back into that Grand Prix, making his way up to P2, passing Lando Norris, who finished P3. And the other thing was the crash between Valtteri Bottas and George Russell, who was driving for Williams at the time, where Russell tried to make a pass, kind of hit the grass that was wet, spun, took Bottas out, and they both just 
you know, kind of lost it on each other, especially Russell. And then afterwards, it was all this speculation. I was like, well, this hurt George Russell's ride in the Mercedes next season. Yeah, because a couple of months later, they officially announced that Russell was joining Mercedes. I, I love the, the conversation, and it's, it's always neat, but they weren't going to dump George Russell, one of the more promising young drivers in the sport, because he crashed with Valtteri Bottas at Imola. They may not have liked how he reacted to it. I mean, he really was angry and how he responded afterwards in the media. But that's correctable. I mean, you take a young guy, you can correct that. But they're dumping that talent because he crashed with Valtteri Bottas trying to pass him down a straight. I did think Ferrari is going to win this race, but I really hope Red Bull is as competitive as we have seen them this season. I hope there is a fight. I mean, I think we all kind of want that. But I just can't overlook Ferrari's dominance this year. It's a home track that Tifosi are going to be loud and really exuberant for the success of the team so far this season. So I do think Ferrari and, and Charles Leclerc are going to emerge on top of the podium at the end of all of this. All right, let's go back uh, to the Australian Grand Prix. We do top five and bottom five during our preview segments. So let's get to that. The bottom five from Australia and Albert Park. We start with five, move our way down to number one. Uh, number five, it's Aston Martin, as I mentioned earlier. I can get past Seb having a rough time in his first run in the new car. Um, he has lacked the seat time. It was noticeable. But Lance Stroll was a mess. I know he talked about being P12 from the back of the grid and all of that. But in the end, man, he ran into Nicholas Latifi during qualifying. That led to a red flag. He got penalized for weaving. They scored no points this season. They don't even look very competitive. Aston Martin, five in the bottom five from the Australian Grand Prix. Number two, Carlos Sainz. Uh, he spun into the gravel on the second lap and was the first car out of the Grand Prix. He had a decent lap going during qualifying, but Fernando Alonso crashed, and that was nullified. He is now clearly the number two driver behind Leclerc, and while that isn't a big surprise, and it may seem obvious, remember, he finished ahead of Charles Leclerc last season in the points race. This weekend was a real setback for Carlos Sainz. Number three, Max Verstappen. There's no need to dwell on this. We already talked about it. Max was running P2 before he was taken out by yet another fuel system issue on his car. It was his second DNF of the season. He did not have the pace, however, to match Leclerc, but he certainly had the pace to fend off everybody else. But now he is six in the points. He's looking for answers. He's trying to defend his title. He's saying a lot of defeatist things, which I really don't like. And they may be true, but I, I don't like sort of the defeatist, um, the way he talks about this season so far and the way the season is going. I'm all for honesty. I mean, as a reporter, I like honest answers rather than cliched stuff. But this this sort of woe is me kind of answers that he seems to be given lately is just it does. It's not that appealing. All right, number two on the top five, bottom five is Kevin Magnuson. I put K-Mag here. I, I don't know why I did, to be honest with you. he It's just such a good start to the season in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. He's gotten in the points in both races. He finished P14 in Australia. I mean, I should be excited for Haas when they just get points and they're competitive rather than have these expectations that they should be running in the top 10 all the time. So I didn't really want to put K-Mag here, but after the first two races of the season, this was kind of a let town. I hate to say it. Um, and then number one, Fernando Alonso. This was just a bad luck weekend for the Spaniard. He had a good qualifying lap that was taken out when he crashed. He never got things going in the Grand Prix and he finished P17. So those are the bottom five from the Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park. Now let's get to the top five. And as I've mentioned many times, top five and bottom five can be anything. It can be teams. It can be circumstances. It can be weather. It can be the circuit. It can be 
personnel. I mean, it, 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 I try to make it a wide umbrella, not just drivers, and then just picking them out of the running order at the end of the race. But top five, and we go from five to number one, number five, Team McLaren. It's their best finish of the season. Lando Norris, P5. Daniel Ricciardo, P6. Now, was it the circuit? We talked about this earlier. It probably was, but it doesn't matter. This was a good kickstart for the rest of the season for McLaren. Plus, it was great for Daniel Ricciardo to get in the top 10 at his home track after running in Melbourne in 2019, where he finished P13. So good for Daniel Ricciardo, good for Lando Norris, good for Team McLaren. They're back up to fourth in the constructor's standings. Number four, George Russell. A podium finish for Russell, his first for Mercedes and his second in his F1 career. But if you remember last year's podium, that was for Williams at the Belgian Grand Prix where they didn't run the race on Sunday and instead they gave the top three in qualifying the podium. So while I'm not taking that away from George Russell, this is really technically his first podium after the completion of a Grand Prix race. And oh, by the way, Russell is now P2 in the driver's standings behind Charles Leclerc. Number three, Esteban Ocon. It's a good P7 for him. It came when the team really needed it after a tough day for Fernando Alonso. So Esteban Ocon, number three in the top five. You know, not an eventful race at all for Esteban Ocon, but again, a good run when the team really needed it the most. All right, number two, Alex Albon. I almost put him number one. I was so impressed with this. What a drive. What a strategy by Williams. He put 57 laps on those hard tires before he came in for the softs on the final lap and earned a point with a P10. It was only it was their only real shot at something in that Grand Prix. Albon made it work. And you know what? When you watch the data, and I had a chance of really watching the data that was coming in, he actually was putting up some good lap times late in the race on those worn out hard tires. He earned all the praise coming out of that weekend. Well deserved. It was really a stellar effort. Good for Williams. They're trying to be more competitive. It was not working out in the first two races of the season. Alex Albon, number two. But I had to give the number one to Charles Leclerc. It seems obvious because it is. It was a Grand Slam win for Leclerc. A pole position, fastest lap, led every lap, and then obviously won the Grand Prix. His second victory of the season and is now pulling away in the Drivers' Championship. So Charles Leclerc, number one in our top five from the Australian Grand Prix. All right, I'm looking forward to this weekend, not just because it's a race weekend. I mean, we can all say that every time. I love Imola. I love when they go to Italy. I love the views and the scenery, but more importantly, I kind of like the circuit. Again, it's, it's an old school track. I love the circuit. Overtaking is not all that great there, but you know, we'll see the cars are racing closer together. We've had three races under the new cars. I kind of like what I'm seeing. I wish the competition was better for the top spot for the championship. I wish we had a better battle, but as a Ferrari fan, I like the results. I love Charles Leclerc have, having won and being uh, the top driver so far this season. Uh, I do hope it does tighten up a little bit. I think competition and sort of the storyline of a year is not a driver running away with it. And with new fans coming into the sport all the time, I want to see that. I mean, I want to see people really enjoy the Formula One season. Uh, You know, one of the things somebody was talking to me about this the other day, and I was, you know, I had covered NASCAR for a long, long time. In fact, I got into this, uh, got into covering motorsports. My first job out of of college in the early 90s was covering, uh, you know, IndyCar, NASCAR, Bush cars at the New Hampshire International Speedway, and I naturally gravitated to Formula One because I I just loved that it was the best racing in the world, and it was on the global stage. And one of the things I've always liked about Formula One that's so different than NASCAR and other racing um, sort of series is that 
the battles for P3 and P4 and and what are they really important? And you can get a victory, quote unquote, without winning the race. Right. We talk about it all the time. We talk about, you know, you know, Alex Albon getting a point for Williams. It was a 10th place finish. Go to a NASCAR track and see how excited people are finishing 10th at a NASCAR track. They're just not, you know, they, they're maybe like, all right, you know, it's, it's not a lost weekend, but they don't, they're not genuinely happy. And Williams was genuinely happy because there are levels of, of what you're trying to accomplish going into a season. You know, you may not be a, 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 world championship competitive team, but you can compete against other teams for certain spots on the driver's championship and the constructor's championship that make those battles really interesting. And I, I like formula one in that regard. You can see a race being run away with the leader, but you can also see battles for positioning within the Grand Prix that are really, really important to those drivers and to those teams. And you don't get that. They don't really talk about that a lot in NASCAR and IndyCar, how important a P7 might be or an eighth place finish at Bristol. They just don't bring that up. It's all about the winner and everybody else was kind of, you know, kind of lost the, lost the race. And even though in formula one, there is a winner and there's a P2 and P3, you can go down the grid and start seeing teams that are really happy with their results based on what their expectations were at the start of the weekend. All right. That's our preview of the Emilia Romano Grand Prix from Imola. Enjoy the race, everybody. We will be back early next week with a review of this Grand Prix and give you our thoughts on all of the 10 teams and anything else that is happening in the world of Formula One. Again, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review if you like what we're doing. If you've been a longtime listener, we really do appreciate it. If you're brand new, I hope you like what you're hearing. Share the podcast with anybody else you know that is a fan of Formula One. We do appreciate any support that we can get. It really is reliant on you guys and i do appreciate everything that you've done so far in year two of the overtake f1 podcast all right we'll see you next week enjoy the race everybody i'm tony desiri and again this is the overtake f1 podcast